0: I'm Rob Fain for Jill. Good afternoon. I hope wherever you're driving around or wherever you're situated, I find you well. We have a fantastic show coming your way. It's one of the shows that I looked at early this morning when I first stopped by and I said, you know what? This is going to be engaging because we're going to be talking about your pocketbook. We're going to be checking on your health. Uh, Your kids are out of school. For those who have kids, this is their last week for many. What are they going to be doing this summer and what businesses can benefit from having the entire family out on the road? But first and foremost, uh, one thing that probably checks all those boxes at the same time the grocery prices inflation we're trying to get it down as a whole but yet it just doesn't seem like that's translating to the checkout when you're done shopping for groceries I know I could speak to that as well I used to be able to take out four or five bags for hundred dollars when I was doing my grocery shopping now maybe two maybe three at best, but that is just because now I have to decide it's going to be one or the other if I'm going to stay within my family's budget. To talk about competitive nature and how we might be able to get those grocery prices down, I welcome Stuart Smith. He's an associate professor out at the University of Saskatchewan. Stuart, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Rob. Well, let's talk about this in broad strokes before we get into the nitty-gritty. Grocery prices, how do we keep them in check?
1: You know, I... As you mentioned in the intro there food price inflation is still over you know 5% higher than overall inflation and and it's only down 2% from the peak back in the winter so you know I I think we're reaching the the point now that that governments are going to have to do a really serious policy assessment as to what levers they can control that can meaningfully reduce the the factors that contribute to food price inflation and and i think the may food price inflation is reflected in large part by the 30 percent increase in the carbon tax from april
0: that is something we'll definitely touch on but let's start with import export policies you know governments can regulate the import and export of food products that at times can help stabilize prices for example they can impose some tariffs on imported goods to protect local producers and keep prices low that way are they doing a good enough job on that
1: i think you know we've we've signed a number of trade agreements over the last 8 to 10 years and and those are designed to reduce tariffs which you know as as that we as fewer tariffs are applied to the food products that are imported, that does contribute to, to keeping food prices lower. So, you know, I think more trade agreements where, where we're continuing trying to reduce those tariffs that are put on imported goods certainly will, will contribute to keeping food prices a bit lower.
0: Before we get into encouraging competition I, I want to talk about the government just for a second here, and maybe you can flesh this out for me. I always think price control is a slippery slope. You know, governments can impose price controlling on certain foods uh, to ensure that they're sold at a reasonable price. This can be done by setting a maximum price that retailers can charge for certain products. How slippery is that slope?
1: Well, yeah, pretty slippery because you start to see. Inefficiencies built into it right and and the the supply management in the dairy system is a good example where millions of of gallons of of milk are just dumped into the sewer system on annual basis so so we're all you know we're we're keeping the price of milk um, high for for infants and children when it's such an important calcium such an important uh, nutrient for childhood development and and milk prices are artificially high because of government policies.
0: I shop, and I don't know if I'm giving away a secret here, but I shop at three to four different places in order to meet my budget. For example, I get my meat and and TNT. I get my dairy at no frills. I go wherever I can because I do my due diligence and I see where the prices are. But let's talk more about just overall competition. Because we heard in the news update just before I took over the radio here that the big three own a majority of the grocers across Canada. But yet, if you look at these secondary stores, for example, TNT, that not a lot of people maybe outside of, uh, outside of um, British Columbia know about, that to me is a real key contributor to me keeping my pricing down. How do we keep this competitive and try to take away from the big three?
1: I think that's a little bit of the. A- the frustration I saw in the, the Competition Bureau's report is when they they talked about recommendations, there there's very little in the policy space that, that provincial and federal governments have the ability to affect when it comes to trying to improve competition. And, and where I was hoping they would focus more on is... is There was no discussion about regulatory barriers, particularly for interprovincial trade. And that would be a way of of helping, you know, if the the barriers to moving products between provinces uh, started to come down, that may facilitate opportunities for sort of, you know, smaller or medium-sized enterprises to, to get into the retail space.
0: I had a friend tell me the other day, he goes, the one thing that a lot of consumers don't realize is that if you do buy local, if you are buying seasonal, you can actually help reduce transportation costs. It never even, it never even crossed my mind to think that if you want to bring that number down, buying local is actually a good thing.
1: Yeah, certainly in our summers, right? I mean, it's a fantastic opportunity to get fresh produce um, at, at farmer's markets. It, it's certainly uh, cheaper on, an, on the environmental footprint that it has, bringing a lot of that produce up from, from southern parts of the United States.
0: I guess at the end of the day, a lot of people will say, okay, well, that's all fine and dandy. We talk about policy. I just want to save money. I don't want to go through all the the bureaucracy <laughs> and red tape. So, what is one tool that I could take with me this afternoon where it could actually help me in my pocketbook?
1: Well, I think the strategy that you're talking about is is probably becoming more of a component that you know. It, it, I think in a lot of cases, due to time constraints, that you know we want to go to one grocery store and we get everything we need in in, in an hour in one fell swoop. And but. Prices are forcing us to to do to be more discriminatory, as you say. You know, going to a specific store for a specific um, number of items and, and dividing our, our shopping up. Which, you know, if you've got time in your schedule, that's that's an excellent way to save a bit of money. But I, I think, to some extent. Some households that, that don't have that time opportunity are, are going to be forced to, to paying higher prices if they can, you know, if they shop, say, at, at one particular um, local grocery store.
0: Yeah, I just think the H word is key here, habits. We're going to have to be changing some habits because sometimes that's the hardest thing to do. Um, Stuart, what a great conversation. Thank you for starting out this show with such a pop. And uh, let's talk again, shall we?
1: Yeah, my pleasure, Rob. You have a great afternoon. Thank
0: you as well. Stuart Smith, Associate Professor uh, at the University of Saskatchewan. I'm Rob Fay, in for Jill. Good afternoon, wherever you are. I hope I find you well. Uh, so the Vancouver Whitecaps are getting ready for a very big game in a couple of days from now. It is the 8th of July. It is a Saturday night. It's a big to-do, but before the game itself, Whitecaps FC going to host Vancouver's largest drag happy hour, ahead of the 10th anniversary Pride match. It's a big deal. It's going to be uh, a lot of stuff going on outside of BC Place. So to talk about this a little bit more, a contestant on the amazing RuPaul's Drag Race, kind enough to join me, Cynthia Kiss. Cynthia, good afternoon. Hello. Thank you for having me, Rob. I'm so excited. Well, you should be because now we're counting down the hours as opposed to counting down the days. What can fans expect when they finally come down to this big shindig? We are
2: going to give you the best drag talent in the city from Vancouver from 3 to 7 on Robson and Beatty. The event is free. It's 19 plus, of course. Drinks are only going to be five bucks. And if you get there early, you can get a pair of Viper sunglasses. How cool!
0: I'm in line already. (laughs) <laughs> right? So
2: let's get super excited about the game. It's going to be Caps and Queens Happy Hour. It's the first ever. I'm so honored to be part of it. And it's just going to be so much fun. It's get everyone excited. And then we can head over to BC Place for the big game against Seattle.
0: Well, what I thought was cool is that you guys have a nonprofit partner, Community, who has done a lot of great things in the Vancouver space. Um, and you guys will be, well, I think the Whitecaps will be making a, a sizable donation in advance with all of those proceeds going directly to helping those in our community. The one thing that I would ask is for someone who has never been to a drag show, you're going to see a lot of new eyes, people that are going to be looking at you and and those around you for the first time. What can they expect?
2: Oh, they can expect sequin, lots of glitter, big hair, lots of color. And honestly, when you boil it down, just a really fun time. It's the summer. Let's have a good time.
0: (laughs) So uh, do you have a role? Are you going to be performing as well? Absolutely. I'm going to be putting on
2: my big and best dance numbers, get everyone excited in the crowd, and then I I might do a little uh, performance at halftime on the, in the big game on the 8th.
0: Ah, okay, okay. I'm with you on that. So walk me through Drag Race, if you don't mind me. I'm going to bounce you around here from the event on the it. 8th uh, right through to Drag Race. Tell me something about that show that I wouldn't know unless I was a contestant.
2: Ooh, I think it's moving it's like movie magic where it's very hurry up to wait. So sometimes, you know, the girls might look like they're standing on stage for a mere 5 minutes, but it's been more like a couple hours. So Ugh. the dogs are always barking, the feet were always sore. <laughs> <laughs> it
0: it's interesting to me because it's a um it's a show that's really captured a little lightning in a bottle there have been some big names that have come from that what was your aspiration what was your hope aside from winning what did you want to accomplish being on that show
2: no, I accomplished it. I wanted to come sixth. That was the goal. <laughs> no, I think it's an amazing showcase. It's one of the biggest stages a queen can have, uh, you know, and it's, so it's a chance to show what you're made of. I got to I got to sing live. I got to dance a few times, lip sync for my life. And then those confessionals, you really get to find out the person behind the character. So I felt like I, I got to show a lot of myself and, uh, you know.
0: They love me. They love me, Rob. You had to (laughs) lip-sync for your life. I did.
2: And, I, and I, I'm still living, so I guess I did okay.
0: You you must have done all right. Okay, so let's bring <laughs> you back to this event coming up on the 8th of July. Uh, the Whitecaps. Obviously, sport has been in the news over the last week with the NHL, the National Hockey League, saying that they're no longer going to let their players wear the practice jerseys that identify things like Pride Night. Uh, it, it wasn't just Pride. It was all of the uh, extracurriculars like the Indigenous Night, Cancer Awareness Night, so it was a really blanket pullback. But I think a lot of people knew that Pride was kind of at the center of that decision. So maybe you could touch on that decision, but also uh, is there a little bit of pride in the fact that the white caps are staying the course and if anything, they're going to accentuate this um, this moment in time?
2: Good point. I love it. I'm so proud of the white caps for, you know, still having their pride. You know, let's be proud, people. This isn't a chance for us to shy away. You know, there are members of the queer community that are also sports fans. You know, there is a total intersection there. So let's celebrate this. You know, it's, I think it's a time to come together And, you know, celebrate all aspects of sports fans. And so something like the event Cats and Queens, it's just such a perfect kickoff because, you know, it's around pride. We're gonna have lots of drag queen talent. It, It should be all about love and inclusion. This isn't a chance to, you know, strip away. You know, this is a chance to add. I'm a drag queen. More is more.
0: So indeed, Cynthia, let me ask you, before we get to the the questions from on the other side of the glass, we've all got questions for you. Um, I love it. What does it mean when somebody sees a player wearing a jersey with a pride identification? What does it mean to you?
2: I personally think that just makes me feel a little more involved, a little more seen. You know, obviously, sports can feel very heteronormative, you know, super masculine. And so sometimes that's intimidating. That almost takes me back to the grade seven locker room, you know, triggered. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, it's, a, it's a chance to just say without saying anything, symbolizing that I'm welcome there. And so it's it's a little sign saying, hey, you're you're welcome at this space, too. So I I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, I hope people hear that. Okay, so Tim, our producer on the other side, he's a huge music aficionado, and right away he sent me a note. He goes, you got to make sure you ask her, is there a strategy behind picking the perfect lip sync song?
2: Ooh, okay. You know what? I think it doesn't matter the song, but your strategy in performing it, don't give it all away. In the first number, you know, the first chorus, give them give them a little tease, breadcrumb them along, you know, spread out your splits, your kicks, your twirls, your whirls. And then there's a crescendo. So it's less about the song, but how you navigate the song. That's always my advice to queens.
0: Sell the sizzle. Is, is that a fair yeah, way to say it? I love an alliteration. (laughs) Sell the sizzle, Cynthia. (laughs) I I finished six in my spelling bee. I can't even spell it. But uh, okay, very quickly, before I let you go, um, I just want to circle back one last time. When fans show up at this event, what can they do to extract the energy from the drag queens? I know you're going to be bringing it. There's no doubt that you can perform. But what can these fans do to reciprocate?
2: Oh, totally. I'm just like Tinkerbell. I'm brought to life by your cheers and your applause. And if you've got tips, Hey, I've got talent. I
0: think I've heard that somewhere before. Cynthia, thank you for doing this. What a pleasure to have you. And uh, I'll be down there and I look forward to seeing you then. So uh, thank you for your time today. Thank you. Can't wait. Rob Fain for Jill for about a, oh, just over an hour. Thank you for making me a part of your afternoon. The BC Corner came out uh, not long ago with a very extensive report on the heat dome, which took place actually just about two years ago. It was this week, two years ago, that that heat dome was really uh, putting a lot of pressure on our most vulnerable. And of the many things that were, you know, a part of the findings, Some of those were identified today, just minutes ago, by the Minister of Health, Adrian Dix, as he announced that they were going to uh, work with BC Hydro to provide thousands of free air conditioners for those in need, those who are most vulnerable. To talk about... Just the overall situation that we're facing right now, and what governments can do, even more so, to adapt to climate change. Uh, I'm enjoy. Uh, well, I'm going to enjoy the conversation, but I'm joined by Alex Boston, the executive director of Renewable Cities at SFU. Alex, good afternoon.
3: Good afternoon. I'm actually retired from SFU, but um, I'm still around. I'm working on these priorities.
0: Well, you know what? Once an sfu always an sfu is what I say. But um, let's talk a little bit about the fact that right now governments are having to make these uh, rather fast adaptations to climate change. Walk me through not just today's announcement, but why it's so imperative that we're doing this right now.
3: So we are experiencing cataclysmic changes in, and t- you know, falling over tipping points when it comes to not only extreme heat, but extreme precipitation events and other extremes. And this is only going to continue. And then we have some underlying conditions that exacerbate vulnerability. So the people that died um, about 100 deaths a day during that extreme heat event two years ago, overwhelmingly they were solos and they were seniors, right? The share of solos today in British Columbia is about 30% of households. That's going to decline to about 50% of households by 2050. So even if we don't have the same extreme heat events like we had two years ago, just the underlying demographics are going to increase our vulnerability. This is on top of steady, steady declines in urban tree canopy. So we have to do a whole bunch of things to turn around some of those underlying conditions that exacerbate our vulnerability. How do we actually um, create more urban tree canopy? Sure should be a requirement. Every single single family parcel, every multifamily parcel, there should be targets for every municipalities to steadily grow the urban tree canopy that can reduce the heat on those parcels in the order of 10 degrees in an extreme heat event one thing that the province has to be commended on is a they're starting to prioritize the vulnerable and it's interesting the vulnerable um, uh, notably the vulnerable that don't have the means in this situation um the the the, the vulnerable are uh, notably uh, solo seniors um that don't have a lot of income Again and again, when we provide incentives for housing retrofits for electric vehicles, they go to the most affluent people disproportionately in British Columbia. This is great. We're starting to provide the um, incentives um, and support to those that don't have the means. What is unfortunate is there is a uh, single-handed focus on air conditioning. And what we should be looking at is low-cost measures that can provide the support that we need so a great study that was done in the week wake, wake of the heat dome was uh, looking at the contribution that just fixing external shades to windows can do um, to reduce indoor heat and the providing um, a, uh, a simple fan that can be used when the sun goes down on your windows so on your northern on your southern exposures, on your western exposures that get the hottest, we put external shades, we give occupants uh, a fan, and you can reduce the indoor temperature by more than 10 degrees. It doesn't cost us mu- as much. A fan is about, you know, it can be $10, 15 20 30 $40. Um, An internal AC can be 5 to 10K um, per, per unit. External shades don't cost that much. And then what we do is also reduce demand on our electricity system. We have to think really thoughtfully. We need new um, building code designs to ensure cross ventilation. That's a key thing that's not happening in existing buildings is we're not designing them to cross ventilate.
0: Okay, so Alex, let me break down some of the things that you said. I think it's a wonderful explanation to our listeners and even to myself as well. So would it be fair to say that maybe the government just started the process like this is phase one and then the education before we start building properly and appropriately is probably phase two and phase three of this I mean you get a report from the coroner that talks about the numbers from the heat dome the deaths and how long it took for paramedics to get there obviously they had to do something in the here and now but the second things like making sure that we have an external cover for the windows and the fan that can bring it down by 10 degrees and you know building properly so that we get some flow throughout the house that's got to be on the list of things to do but today was probably just phase one, no?
3: Let's hope so. Let's hope the provincial government is looking in a really integrated manner at the opportunities. And you're right that education is central. And I would say that that's some leadership that the provincial government has taken with the B.C. Centre of Disease Control last year around this time on the anniversary. They rolled out what I would argue is one of the best government handbooks on preparing your, your, yourself for extreme heat. I gave a, a link to your producer, and hopefully you'll, uh, you'll send that out to all your your followers. But it is fantastic, and everyone should read it. We should look in our community, solo seniors, um, identify them, make sure that during extreme heat events that we check in on them. Um, are you preparing yourself? Do you have enough cooling? One of the reasons why seniors are vulnerable is that we lose our capacity to regulate heat as we age. We do not, we're not aware that we're overheating. And when we're alone, um, we're, we're much more uh, susceptible to uh, not being uh, not being alerted uh, by people, but by, by, by those around us uh, that we're in a crisis situation. And what's interesting, notably for you and me, the most vulnerable are guys. Um, that's because we don't have social networks, right? We don't, we don't keep in contact with people as we age when we retire we lose our most important social network so social isolation solos and seniors those are the big the big determinants of uh, of the vulnerability and it's really interesting it's even those in the single family almost 30 percent of people that died during that extreme heat uh, event two years ago were living in single family homes um, that's a huge share of our solos in British Columbia. We have to uh, solve these issues um, in an integrated manner. And then part of that is by looking, after, looking out um, for solos in our community.
0: Great conversation, Alex. Thank you very much for your time today.
3: Okay. Thank you so much for your really, really keen interest in staying on top of this. I know this was just released about five minutes ago.
0: That's good stuff. And and I promise you, you've heard it from me. We will post that link. So, again, Alex, thank you.
3: Okay. Good afternoon.
0: Rob Fay in for Jill for one more hour. Uh, I have been a parent that has watched my kids look for things to do all summer long for many a year. Now they've all... Gone off to university and done their own thing, so I don't have to worry about that anymore. But I have also been a uh, Boy Scout for a number of years, so I know how important it is to have things to do during the summer to keep your focus as a child and for the parents to feel good that they are in good hands with, again, a lot of days where you got to find activities for them. Diamond Isinger is a BC volunteer and media spokesperson with uh, Girl Guides Canada, kind enough to uh, make time for me this afternoon. Diamond, good afternoon. Thanks Potter. for having me. Oh, there we go. It's okay. <laughs> there that's we ane- go. The rookie. I'm going to take the blame for this. I'm like, you know what? I got three <laughs> things lit. I need to have four of them. So that's on me. Let us talk about uh, July and August. These are months, obviously, when BC kids are out enjoying their summer. They're doing things. But there are obviously things that, as parents, you want to make sure they're doing the right way. How can you guys help? Yeah,
4: absolutely. We're excited, as Girl Guides, to be offering a very busy summer of programming this year. Obviously, earlier in the COVID pandemic, there were challenges where we were unable to provide overnight experiences. Lots of kids were, of course, staying closer to home to remain safe. But it seems like as we head into summer 2023, that a lot of families are more comfortable with their kids heading out for the summer for overnight camps and other experiences. We recently opened our registration for some of those summer camps for our current members. And we saw on day one camps filling up with wait lists for a number of our week-long camps this summer.
0: How did you organizationally get through the pandemic? I know that's a question that I could have probably asked you almost a year ago, but how long did it take for you guys to see those numbers bounce back? And what did you learn from that time when you had a little bit of, you know, extra moment to kind of recalibrate?
4: Yeah, we've seen consistently high demand for Girl Guide programs in B.C. pretty much for the duration of the pandemic. We actually have our registration open right now for September, and we're already seeing incredibly high demand groups, including my own here in Vancouver. We have wait lists. um, You know, we're looking for enough volunteers to keep up. And the same experience when it comes to the summer camps that we're planning to be offering we, when we opened registration, ended up putting out an additional call for more adult volunteers so that we could take in some campers from wait lists because we had so many kids that wished to join us for Girl Guide summer camping
0: experiences. I can tell you this. I can name probably two or three of my teachers from all my years in school, but I can still remember every one of my summer counselors. It's just so important. It's such a big part of your summer. Um, I'd love to learn and maybe even share with the listeners today how your organization works with kids to help them grow from within.
4: Absolutely. I mean, we offer programs for girls ages 5 to 18 or kindergarten to grade 12, and we see a lot of confidence and skills be built as kids get older. But we're also seeing that in these last few years, a lot of those traditional milestones you would reach, that by a certain age you would go to camp, by an older age you would become a camp counselor or help with younger youth. Some of those milestones have been missed because kids, of course, were unable to access those experiences. As we look ahead to camping this summer, there's obviously such high demand for the Girl Guide Camps. But the way in which we're preparing kids, I think, is a bit different. In my own group and getting ready for camp this summer myself, I'll be volunteering at some of these camps. I find that talking to the parents and the kids, it's really important that parents come to the conversations with their kids about being camp ready with the right mindset. A lot of kids can internalize the angst that their parents might have or the concern that they might have. And instead of dwelling on the possible concerns, instead trying to seek out more information, visiting the website of the camp that you're going to, looking at some pictures, talking about what an average day in the life at camp might look like. Those are all great ways to prepare kids. But ideally, too, this summer isn't a child's first experience with camping. Ideally, they can be leveled up over time by going on a day trip with uh, a friend's family, for example maybe they can experience a sleepover beforehand as well so that they can steadily build their confidence to be ready for that longer experience.
0: You know, I have to ask this question, Diamond, just because, you know, of the climate and the way things are in 2023. Camping, you know, as a parent sounds great, but, the, you, know, you know, all you have to do is look at the news and see that there's a number of forest fires burning throughout this region. How do you calm the nerves of a parent that might be just generalizing when they see something like that on the news?
4: Oh, absolutely. I mean, Girl Guides, we have a, an incredible track record of providing safe and positive experiences for youth, as well as for being pre- prepared for just about anything that life uh, might bring us. Obviously, when you're spending time in the outdoors, you're not guaranteed, you know, calm, warm, temperate uh, weather for the duration, especially being here in British Columbia, you could face challenges with forest fires, with uh, air quality, with other challenges. But we as an organization have very well established safety protocols in place. We make emergency plans for what could what could arise and how we would react to those things and I know that a lot of parents have a lot of trust in our ability to keep their kids safe in those experiences with over a century of history in BC delivering those experiences.
0: And Diamond before I let you go can you walk me through one moment one experience with a young lady who you know maybe just made you realize this is why I do what I do is there something that kind of resonated with you?
4: Oh, too many experiences to possibly (laughs) pick one. But I think in general, with my own group this year, we've really tried to level up their confidence. We started in the fall with a great day trip to the Britannia Mine Museum, In the winter, we did two different sleepovers, one that was more comfy, one that was more adventurous, and then we made our way to camp for a full weekend on the Sunshine Coast this spring. Many of those same kids are now going back to the Sunshine Coast for full weeks of camp this summer because they steadily built their confidence through Girl Guys in being in a safe and supportive environment that they feel that they can take on that next step. And it's really exciting for them and their families, and hopefully, of course, their families are, are excited to hear about all the fun that they have.
0: yeah. You know, you've hit the nail right on the head. I remember when I came home from my camps, I walked a little taller, I had a little confidence, felt like I got a little independence as well from my family. Uh, It was very positive. So I wish you a ton of success. I hope you have nice, warm evenings, but uh, great, safe experiences. And please stop by and let's talk about this again.
4: Sounds great. Thanks so much, Rob.